please stand as we prepare our hearts for the reading of God's word through John Mark. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, large crowd came to him and he began to teach them as he walked along he saw Levi son of Alphaeus sitting at the tax collector's booth follow me Jesus told him and Levi got up and followed him while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's home many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples for there were many who followed him when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The word of God for the people of God. Charlie, thank you. Two things to see in the passage as it unfolds. First, we see in 1 through 12 that Jesus Christ very clearly has the authority to forgive sins. And not only has he come to forgive sins, but he's come to heal. And so that's verses 1 through 12. The reason he has the authority to forgive sins is because of who he is and what he's done. And then verses 13 through 17, you see a people a group of people, one in particular Levi, who has experienced this forgiveness. And I'm convinced, as I've studied forgiveness of sins and really experienced it myself, men and women, I believe, as we really understand what it means when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, 
we can enjoy a freedom that brings an unspeakable joy, and you see it in 13 through 17, in the party that Levi throws, and we'll look at that really closely. So let's jump in. Look at verse 1. First, it says that Jesus has come home. Now, you may be familiar in another passage where it says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but Jesus does not. Uh, the Son of Man has no place to lay his hand. So this is not about real estate Chances are he's renting a house or he's staying in Peter's mother-in-law's house. But it is a base of operation because Jesus is beginning a really public ministry. And so he comes home there, and he's in Capernaum, and it's a city, a little town that's a fishing town on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. And notice he immediately begins his ministry of preaching. And if you look at verse 2, there were such large numbers that the room where he was preaching was packed. They were packed in like sardines. In fact, there were so many people, you could not even get in the door from the street. Now, that really begs the question, why? Let's start off right there. Something I want you to know about Jesus, and if you're not, if you don't know much about Jesus... As you really begin to study him in the gospel and as he begins to reveal himself to you, what you will see is that he is magnetic. And I believe the most basic reason Jesus Christ is magnetic is because he was so loving. For example, when he was healing a leper, he stepped up to the leper to say he would heal him. And what Jesus did is he reached out and touched a man who hadn't been touched in 10 years. When he was dealing with a woman who was in an immoral lifestyle and his life had been devastated by abusive men, she came, he came to her as a man acting, treating her with utter respect, loving her all the way through to help her see what she was really looking for. Again and again and again, you will see in the life of Jesus a man who is very intentional in the way he seeks to love people, and that is the greatest need of every human being in this room and beyond to the whole world. It's unconditional love, and Jesus had it. One of the reasons I love, absolutely love the Chronicles of Narnia is Aslan. And if you're familiar with Aslan and the Chronicles of Narnia, you know how tender and yet how strong he is at the same time, not in conflict with each other. And to watch people who respond to Aslan and just how magnificent he is, especially how magnificent he is in love. Think of Lucy, the youngest of the four Penzance children. Think of her. Think of how much she loved Aslan. Listen to this. Lucy never thought, stopped to think whether Aslan was a friendly lion or not. She rushed to him. She felt her heart would burst if she lost a moment. And the next thing she knew was that she was kissing him and putting her arms as far around his neck as she could and burying her face in the beautiful, rich silkiness of his mane. The reason she responded like that is because he loved her so much. One of the ways Aslan showed that he loved people is he would stick out his tongue and touch their nose. And it was just a wonderful, tender way to say how much he loved. And it's such a great picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he extends his hand to people who are sick to heal, when he says words of encouragement, when he calls people to follow, 
It's all about an inclusive love that was absolutely magnetic. Notice what he does in verse 2. He preaches the word to them. Now, I always thought, yeah, he's preaching the word. I guess he's sort of preaching a sermon like this. But you know what's interesting? Because he is the word, every word he said was actually the word of God. Every uh, every but, every and. He was speaking the word of God. And it drew people. Why does the word of God draw people? I think it for at least two reasons. Number one, when you sit under the preaching of God's word, it's meant to be convicting. In fact, one place in the Bible it says that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, implying that it cuts to the very core of who you and I are. The word of God will expose you for who you are. And then the word of God also reveals who Jesus is. And even here, as he's preaching the word of God, what he's preaching is the forgiveness of sins that he and he alone can offer. In addition, the word of God offers us guidance. Think about life in these days. There's so many different places that you can go for guidance and wisdom. And yet the word of God is the wisdom of God. And so people were, in incredible ways, really drawn to it. And so I really want to challenge you as the people of God to put yourself regularly under the preaching of the Word of God, reading yourself the Word of God, because in that you'll experience the conviction of God's Spirit, you'll experience the leading of God's Spirit, you'll experience the love of the Lord Jesus as He wraps His arms around you. That's why people were really drawn to Jesus as He's preaching. Now, you've got him in a room, it's packed, and all of a sudden, the ceiling starts to crumble. Now, can you imagine, Jesus is with his longer hair, is preaching, and suddenly dust or uh, pieces of mud, sticks start coming from the ceiling, and he continues to preach until finally there's a hole broken in the ceiling, and he has to stop, and everybody looks up. And what happens? Well, a man's lowered down in a mat the four corners, and he's lowered down right in front of Jesus, and everybody is completely silent. You may be familiar with the story. Think about the backstory for just a second. First, let's think about the four men. Why did they bring the paralytic to Jesus? Probably because the paralytic knew that Jesus could heal, and he begged his friends to take him to Jesus. But you need to see this first. The guy couldn't get there himself. He needed help. And in fact, Jesus said when he looked at them, because of their faith, not only the faith of the paralytic who wanted to be in front of Jesus for healing, but also for the four friends who lowered the paralytic down in front of the crowd, all of their faith is what Jesus really blessed. Now, there's a couple of things to say. There's going to be a time, listen to me carefully, There's going to be a time in your life where you're paralyzed and you need to come to Jesus. And you're going to need other people to take you there. You're going to need friends who have a strong faith in him to take you and help you by laying you before him. There are times in my life when I'm struggling particularly, either personally or vocationally, And I'm absolutely worn out. And I'll call a friend because I need a friend to help me get to Jesus. 
And that's exactly what's happening here. So let me ask you a very pointed question. Who are your four men? Who are your four people? Who are four people who know you well enough, whom you know well enough, who love you, whom you love, who will take you to Jesus when you need help? Everybody in this room needs it. Everybody in this room at some point will be the person on the mat or you'll have the privilege to be the person lowering it through the ceiling. We need each other. We need to have not only an individual faith, but a communal faith. We truly need that. Because if you're weak, I can be strong. If I'm weak, you can be strong. And so these men take their friend to the Lord Jesus. It's incredible what they do. They don't stay on the sidelines. They go right to the one whom they know can bring healing. And what does Jesus do? The first thing he says is son. It literally means child. It's a very tender statement. It's an acknowledgement that the man is in devastating circumstances. And I want to say this clearly. Jesus knows where everybody in the room is and the circumstances you find yourself in. And he cares for you. He cares for you. Some of us are in incredible circumstances where we just bought a new car and we can't stand ourselves. Did you buy a new car? Did somebody who laughed? <laughs> I just made it up out of the air. So if you bought a new car, I'm a prophet. No, I'm just kidding. But some of us have walked in here and we're alone. And we shouldn't be. And Jesus knows both circumstances. And he cares deeply for you and for me. Now he looks at the man. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Okay. So you're the paralytic. You've had your friends lower you down in front of Jesus. You've heard Jesus do these incredible things. And you've had your friends lower you before Jesus. And he looks at you tenderly. And you look up at him expectantly. And he says, your sins are forgiven. How are you going to feel? Don't give me the Sunday school answer. Don't do it. Am I the only one in here? I'd be disappointed. I mean, my first thought is, would be, that's fine. That's not what it came for. <laughs> that's exactly what I would think. Um, is your relationship with Jesus like that? Oh, that's fine, but that's not what it came for. Here's what everybody needs to see myself included. Jesus, listen to me, Jesus is always after the greater good. Do you believe that Jesus knows and cares about your greater good? He cares about your immediate good, your immediate circumstances, absolutely. But do you believe he's actually after something larger and more eternal that's exactly what's happening here. He always deals with the bigger issue. Many times when I go to the Lord, I'm saying, Lord, this is not turning out like I thought. And then he reminds me, but it is turning out like I planned. And that's very, very helpful for me. It, it gets hard for me when it's not turning out like I thought, but like he planned 
Because I focus on things so much smaller when he's focusing on so much things so much larger. That includes my concern. He doesn't discard my concern. He just expands his interest. He's after so much more. Let me tell you what he's after. He's after things that will last. Like your character. Not your bank account. And that's why he's after a greater good. He says your sins are forgiven. And look what happens here. The religious ones, the Pharisees, are thinking to themselves, well, who is this man? Only God can forgive sins. This is blasphemy. So what are the religious people in the room doing? Well, a couple of things. The first thing they're doing is they're slamming the door to possibilities with their unbelief. They have no intention of believing Jesus or anything that he says. And so their unbelief just slams the door to anything that Jesus would do. You know what faith does? Faith asks. Unbelief tells. Let me say it again. Faith asks. Unbelief tells. And that's exactly what these guys are doing. And yet, isn't it funny? He knew exactly what they were thinking. Y'all, I've been married many years. And I can tell you, if you ask my wife a question, I can tell you exactly what she's going to say. Nine times out of ten. Sometimes I can't. And it's not because she's easy to read. It's just because we've been together forever. You know? And she's the same way. You know? She can tell, me, she can tell you exactly what I think about something. She can tell you exactly what I'm going to wear. I mean, she knows exactly what I wear on Tuesday. and I mean, just because, you know. Well, take that to the nth degree. Jesus made you. He loves you. And so he knows you. Listen to this. You've searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before Word is on my tongue, Lord. You know it completely. That's how much he knows us. And here's what's so wonderful about that. We can't hide if he knows us this well. How many of us come into the room, come into church, you know, the old term, Sunday best? You know, when we talk about Sunday best, we're not necessarily talking about clothing. You know what we're talking about? We're talking about our poses. We're talking about the way we pretend to be so that we can project something that we think people will like. Guess what? Jesus looks right through our poses and sees to our hearts. And do you know what he, how he responds? He loves us. He looks right through what we think people want to who we are and loves us. Do you realize the freedom that we can have when we begin to know that he knows what we think? Now, these religious people, why do they respond to Jesus like this? Why do they oppose him? You know why they do? Because when they heard your sins are forgiven, 
They don't think they need forgiveness of sin. That's really what it boils down to. You look at verse 16. When they're looking and talking to Jesus' disciples, they say, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? Implying that they're not. You know what they should have asked? Can we come to the party? They don't think they have need for the forgiveness of sins. You guys, I want to say this. I want you to listen to me carefully. I think the church in this country is growing in its level of apathy. And the reason I think that's true is we're also growing in our level of ignorance of our own sin. I truly believe that. I have to say it myself. I'm ashamed to say to you, when we go through confession of sin... I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of, oh, I did that four and a half weeks ago. I need to confess that. Oh, I can, oh, that was, I think I did that last year. We are so unaware of how sinful we really are, which makes Jesus so small when he says, your sins are forgiven. It's amazing. And these people are responding it's people who really don't need Jesus. And obviously there's no joy, but only condemnation. Now, Jesus says in verse 9, which is easier? Well, either forgiving sins or healing the man. Now, I have to admit, if I were in that crowd, I think most of the crowd probably thought, I'll tell you what's a lot easier. Words are cheap. Say, saying I'm forgiven is cheap. But healing a man is something absolutely incredible. You guys, do you realize, listen, listen to me. Do you realize that if there were a paralytic here this morning and he or she were healed, that's less impressive than believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And, and yet, there would not be a chair left in this room empty if we had this. But we have this. Why are we so indifferent to it? I know in my own life, it's because I don't think I really need it. And these religious people did not really believe that they needed it. Now, I'll say this. When Jesus said, which is easier, and you see in 10 and 14, what does he say? He says, get up, take your mat, go home. And the man took the mat that he was carried in on, uh, lowered in on, and he took it right out. And they were all stunned. And the reason Jesus said, he said, so you will know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, be healed. And so he did that which was lesser in order to show them that which was greater, he could forgive sins. Why is it greater? Because men and women, it's so much easier for Jesus to say, be healed. Because when he said, you are forgiven of your sins, he signed his own death sentence. He committed himself. When he forgave that paralytic his sins, he committed himself to paying the debt for the forgiveness that he offered
which cost him his life. He did the healing, but only to point to the forgiving. Christian signs and wonders are beyond rationality, one author writes. They serve a rational purpose to authenticate the gospel. The gospel is opposed to the pluralistic life that says all religious experience is equally valid. Signs and wonders, miracles like this, validate Christ's sacrifice on the cross and his lordship over every area of life. The reason he healed the man is because he's come to forgive. And he wants people to know it. He forgave him of his sins. He healed him because really the mission of Jesus is ultimately total restoration. Because listen carefully, when Jesus comes again, not only will we no longer be sinful, we will no longer be sick. There will be no illness because he will make every person who trusts him whole. That's the miracle of the gospel. And his authority, because of who he is, he's the son of God. And his authority, because of what he's done, he's paid the penalty to offer the forgiveness. Now look at verses 13 through 17. Look what happens to somebody who receives forgiveness. So we've got large crowds again, verse 13. And so Jesus is preaching again, and he's just magnetic in his preaching. And you guys, I am convinced in our day that the clear proclamation of the word of God is what our country needs. Now let me say this. Not only the clear proclamation of the word of God in places like this, but also in your workplace, proclaiming the gospel in word and in deed places where you take leisure, proclaiming the gospel in word and in deed. Why? Because the gospel is salvation for those who believe. It sets people free. And so when Jesus preaches, he's just magnetic because of the way he loves. And then he turns to a particular individual as he's walking off, and he says, Levi, follow me. Now, why is this so powerful? Well, for a number of reasons. First, there's a little Levi in us all. Let me tell you about Levi. Levi is a tax collector. You may know this. But he was hired by the Romans to really collect. It it really turns out to be a tariff on trade. And what he does is he is mandated to collect a certain amount of tax for the Roman Empire. And then, oh, by the way, he can add a commission on top. And he's free to add whatever he can extort. Now, he's extorting from his fellow countrymen. And so he extorts as much as he can with the authority of the Roman Empire from people who hate the Roman Empire and now hating him because he's a traitor. He's a hated, hated man. And Jesus has just preached to a huge crowd of people and he walks right by somebody that all of them hate. And he says, follow me. How do you think that went over for his reputation? Why do you suppose he did that? Because he came to say, your sins are forgiven. It doesn't matter how far you think you are. And so he chooses somebody that everybody else thinks is unreachable. You ever felt unreachable? 
You ever felt so bad? Have you ever walked into this church thinking, gosh, I wish I had it together like everybody else? Have you ever walked in? If you ever walk in and feel that, come and see me personally. We'll step back in the prayer room, and by the time you leave, you'll probably leave because you won't want a pastor like me. There, I've worked this crowd for a long time. Ain't no, nobody in this room got it all together. Nobody. I won't start confessing sins. But we all know it. Why are we pretending like? Look at, do you see what Jesus did? Here was the faithful crowd, and then he chooses Levi, whom they all hate. And what does Levi do? Gets up and starts walking right off with him. Why? Because forgiveness will get you out of your seat and get you moving. In fact, it'll get you dancing. Guess what Levi did? He threw a party. And he invited all of his friends, which, by the way, were all hated by everybody else too. And so he throws a party. Can't you imagine? They're all here in all these tax collectors and sinners, and they're gathered around the table, and Levi turns and says, hey, turn the iPod on. Let's turn on Shut Up and Dance by Walk the Moon. That's my new favorite for uh, wedding receptions. Can you imagine them popping the iPod on and dancing? Can you imagine Levi standing up in his chair first, screaming freedom? It really happened. And it wasn't alcohol-induced joy. It, it, it was the joy that comes from being fully known and perfectly loved. And that's why he threw a party. And that's why his friends came. And that's why the religious people couldn't stand it. Because Jesus loved somebody that they hated. I want to encourage you this morning. Jesus Christ has the authority to forgive sins. And he's come to throw a party. He invites you to come as you are. But you will not leave the same way. Let's pray.